As they were gathered around the dinner table, a young boy named John, his parents, and his siblings could easily hear the sound of footfalls on the second floor above them. The footsteps would move from one end of the house to the other before finally falling silent. The family would listen cautiously and then resume their regular dinner table conversation. No one would comment that all of the family members were accounted for or mention that no one was on the second floor. On the first floor, a doorway leading to the stairway up to the second floor would open on its own, but mostly only for John's mother. And in the basement, where most children enjoy acting out their childhood fantasies with toys and other means of entertainment, John saw a glowing set of eyes watching him from behind the open stairway. Every member of John's family remembers these strange occurrences, but despite those direct experiences, the home in Fremont, Ohio, remained in the family for more than 20 years. On this episode of Phantom History, John, now an adult and living in Orlando, tells me about his experiences as a child in Ohio and how a discovery in that yard of the home may explain not only the haunting his family experienced, but how it made him especially susceptible to spiritual activity well into adulthood. I'm Steve Blanchard. Welcome to Phantom History. So for the benefit of our listeners, tell me a little bit about where you grew up. Um, I grew up in Ohio, um, close to Lake Erie. I was in Fremont for um, several years until I was about in my 20s, and then I moved to Sandusky, Ohio. And you had shared before that uh, when you were growing up in, in a home that was in the more rural areas of Ohio, that that's where you had your first experiences with what can probably best be described as something paranormal or otherworldly. Um, tell me a little bit about that home you grew, grew up in. I know you said it was a two-story home. Right. It was a, a big two-story home on over seven acres out in the country. Um, the closest house to us was about a mile away, and um, it was very secluded, trees all around it, and kind of kind of spooky a little bit. I lived there with my parents, and I lived there with my um, brother and sister. Okay. Now, you noticed at an early age that something was going on in the house. Uh, when did you first, I guess, what first alerted you to something else being in the house with you and your family? Um, well, grow, growing up, we would hear all kinds of noises, especially like if you were on the first floor, you could hear people walking um, around above you um, and the doors would open and close. The water would turn on and off on its own and um, just a lot of just activity in the household. Now, you mentioned the water turning on and off. Would you see the water turn on and off, or would you leave a room and come back and the water would be running? No, the water would turn on in front of you, and then it would turn off in front of you as well. So would you see the handles moving, or would just the water flow? The handles would move. Wow. The water would flow, and then the handles would shut off, and the water would shut off. How did you react when you saw that, especially the first time? I mean, most people would be terrified. Right. Well, you know, it was rather rather spooky. Um, The... We, as my mom and my sister and I, we were terrified of it. My dad thought we were all crazy and wouldn't believe us until later on in life. Um, but it was just something that you, we grew up with and kind of, we were there. We mm-hmm. lived in the house and it kind of was what it was. Now, was this just in one restroom that this would happen or would it happen throughout the house with the water? That would happen in the bathroom. Okay, so one particular location. Right. 
Now, you also said that uh, you would hear noises. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I think you said that it was usually upstairs that you would hear something. Right. Usually um, it came from upstairs and you would hear people walking above you and you could clearly hear the footsteps walking um, up across the floor on the second floor, down the hallway, into the rooms. You could hear it all. You could hear the whoever it was walking across. And this wasn't just you that heard the footsteps, right? Your whole family could? Right. My sister and my mom. My dad, I think, he just um, sort of just pretended that it wasn't there. Like I said, until later on when he, he had an experience. I can only imagine sitting at, say, the dining room table and the look you guys give each other when you hear something going on above you when you know nobody else is in the house. Right. And there, and that's the thing is nobody was in the house. Um, you know, we were all down on that, um, on the first floor and you'd hear somebody clearly walking above you and they're just, there was no way, no way to explain, you know, why it was going on. But a few years later, an explanation was revealed in the yards surrounding John's childhood home. According to a November 24, 1988 article published in the News Messenger of Fremont, Ohio, 22 bodies identified as members of the Fire Nation tribe, enemies of the better-known Arirokai, were discovered near the family home. Archaeologists estimated that the bodies were buried nearly 1,100 years before. But before those bodies were discovered and relocated to the University of Toledo, John and members of his family had their own individual experiences with whatever was lingering in the home. Yeah, my mom would, not only would she, um, every time she walked by the door to go upstairs, the door would open. It was very strange. It, it didn't matter. Like with us, it was on and off. It wouldn't happen all the time. But for my mom, every time she walked by that door, that door would open wide open. Um, and then in addition to that, she would lay in bed. And as she was laying there, something would jump up and then like curl around her leg and lay down on her. And then they turned the light on and nothing was there. So almost like the feeling of a pet crawling into right. the bed? Exactly. Now, you you have an experience that you think might link to that pet. I do. When There was a time when I was in the basement, and it's kind of an eerie basement, um, and we had a pool table and downstairs along with like the laundry and all other kinds of rooms down there. Um, I really didn't like going down there. I wouldn't go down there unless I really had to. Um, but one time when I was down there, um, as I was getting ready to come up, we had open stairway that you could see like behind the steps and there was a red set of glowing eyes under there and I just remember it scaring the crap out of me and I went running upstairs so run up the, the stairs you had to run over where the eyes were right between this right and and you think that that may have been whatever it was that was joining your mom at night right I kind of wonder if that was we know what it was joining my mom um, my mom and my sister never saw it um, my brother was off at college so he was rarely home um, but they never saw the red eyes I tended to stay away from the basement unless I really needed to go in the basement after yeah. that you you had mentioned as well uh, something about the paneling in the home um, and having a uh, an image or something on it can you share a little bit about that yeah in, in our den um, we had at eye level what appeared to be 
scratches and it looks like somebody had taken their fingernails and scratched two pairs of eyes that look like they were looking at you um, right at eye level in the den and um, nobody did it. I got blamed for it and I didn't do it, <laughs> um, but it was there until the room was remodeled and um, and that was really scary to see um, just because you know with the glowing eyes downstairs and then all of a sudden these scratches appear on the wood paneling and they're in and it clearly looks like somebody had taken two fingers and did lines up and then lines on the bottom to create an eye and then they did the same thing and they were perfect like two eyes just like looking at you and these appeared after you saw the eyes downstairs yes now were they similar in shape to the eyes that you saw in the basement do you think it was a representation? It could have been. They were very similar in shape. Um, you know, they were kind of longer and wider, kind of pointy on the ends. And you said they stayed until the home was remodeled. So when that paneling was replaced, nothing else reappeared? Nothing else reappeared in that room, no, because what they did is they painted the wall. John lived in this rural home from the age of four until he was in the sixth grade. It was by pure coincidence that the bodies of the Native Americans laying nearby were even discovered. Local fishermen and explorers who would access Lake Erie through the creek along the property would always discover artifacts. That included arrowheads or pieces of pottery. It was those discoveries that John said led to the archaeological dig on the site. Um, when I was living there, we had a guy come out, I believe his name was Gene Edwards, and he would come down. Um, we lived right on the creek, and he would take the creek out to Lake Erie, and he was in search of um, artifacts, um, you know, Native American artifacts. And my dad, he would find all kinds of stuff in our garden. We had over seven acres in there, and we had huge gardens in the back of the house. And he would find all kinds of just different things like pottery and um, arrowheads and all different kinds of things. And um, so he was talking to Gene one day about it, and Gene wanted to test out the area in the backyard. And so we started testing it out, and he found out that um, there were actually bodies in the backyard that were buried. Uh, how did they discover those bodies? They found bones while they were digging? Well, they had some kind of tool. And, th and by the time that they had found the bodies, I had already moved out. I, when I was living there, um, they just had, they would go down to the creek and find all the stuff in, in Lake Erie. And then my dad would find all the stuff in the garden. And later on, after I had moved out, is when they started doing all the, of the excavation stuff in the backyard. Um, but they had some kind of tool that went in the ground and they were able to figure out that there were um, um, bodies buried in the back. And um, they what had been believed to be an, an Indian burial ground. And then the University of Toledo and the Ohio State University um, got involved and they sent people out to the home and then they did an excavation site for about a week. John is convinced that even though the uncovered bodies have been relocated to nearby universities, a presence of some kind still remains on the property. His father, who had long doubted his family's claim of paranormal activity in the home, had an experience long after John moved out and that finally convinced him that his family had been right all along. Um, my dad had an experience in the home where my stepmom had left for work and my dad stayed in the master bedroom 
Um, he was laying in bed, and that's on the first floor. And he said he clearly heard the front door open and close, and then he heard somebody walk down the hallway um, towards their bedroom. And so he kept calling out, hey, honey, hey, honey, what do you need? Did you forget something? And she never answered. So he got up and went to check it out, and there was nobody there. He finally admitted that there was something kind of <laughs> strange going on. Like most children in rural areas, John remembers walking through the woods surrounding his home and spending hours exploring the outdoors. Those experiences, though, at least to John's best recollection, never brought about any paranormal or unusual experiences. He only encountered entities while indoors. Journal articles and newspaper clippings documenting the dig at John's childhood home talk about the remains and artifacts found at the dig site, which was dubbed Site 400. But there is no scientific article discussing the activity John's family experienced within the home. Decades later, and more than 1,000 miles away from the home he called home during his childhood, John still has no doubt that those remains are directly responsible for his family's experience. Oh, I totally believe that it has something to do with all of the problems in the house because I think that they just didn't want us there. Um, We were kind of annoying them being on their land in their presence. So they kind of wanted it known, you know, that it was their, their area. Since moving out of the home just before he became a teenager, John has had limited exposure to the house he called home for those eight years. Despite having a team of archaeologists remove the bodies from the land, John is convinced that whomever calls the house their home now probably has their own experiences to share. The dig, after all, only lasted for one short season. It is over seven acres. I I have a feeling that there's more bodies out there because they only they only dug in certain areas. So I have a feeling that there's a lot more out there that's just not hasn't been pulled up. John hasn't been inside that home since his family sold it nearly 20 years ago. He said he is certainly interested in seeing the home again, but admits he would only go if a group of people accompanied him. Eventually, John bought a home of his own in Ohio, but soon after he moved into that house, he found out that he was once again dealing with a spirit that had laid claim to the home way before he arrived. We'll talk to him about that experience as an adult on the next episode of Phantom History. Phantom History is researched, written, and produced by me, Steve Blanchard. Music is courtesy of Shane Ivers of SilvermanSound.com, Chad Crouch, and Raphael Crew. If there is a mysterious location that you think would make for an interesting episode, please let me know by emailing podcast at phantomhistory.com. You can also follow this podcast on Instagram through my podcast handle, at Phantom History, and see photos, news articles, and other extras on the podcast website, phantomhistory.com. In addition, I invite you to like the Phantom History page on Facebook, where you will receive updates, photos, participate in discussions, and more. Please consider giving Phantom History a five-star review on whatever platform you use to enjoy podcasts. And thank you for listening.